In The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey writes that trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. And as project managers, having the trust of our clients, our teams, and our bosses is critical. It's critical for us in delivering our projects because being trusted means we get on with our work. We get on with the business of delivering projects without having to continually try and convince people to do what we want them to do. But trust is something that we can take for granted and we rarely think about earning it, maintaining it, or perhaps most crucially, how we can lose it. So keep listening to today's podcast to discover how you can build and grow trust to make managing your projects easier. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, founder of the Digital Project Manager. Welcome to the DPM podcast. We're on a mission to help project managers succeed, to help people who manage projects deliver better. We're here to help you take your project game to the next level. Check out the digitalprojectmanager.com to learn about our training and resources we offer through membership. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarison.com to learn more. So today I'm joined by Mike Clayton. And Mike is a doctor and he's the founder of onlinepmcourses.com. And the site provides courses, tools and resources for project managers at all stages of your career. Mike has got stacks of courses. He's also written 14 print books and was for 12 years a PM with Deloitte. Uh, hi, Mike. Thanks for joining us today. Ben, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. And Happy New Year. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And so, Mike, I want to ask you to start with, what is new for you? This is a new year. This is 2020. Uh, what is new for you? Uh, lots going on. Um, firstly, uh, my main focus for this year, I've decided, is going to be uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, as Ooh. some of, some of uh, some of your listeners may know, I've I've got uh, an online PM courses YouTube channel, which has become a lot more successful over the last nice. uh, last twelve months. And I've seen that growing, and I've decided to invest a lot more time into that. So, just at the end of the autumn, I ramped up from one to two videos a week, and I'll be. Uh, aiming to continue that throughout the year and, and invest in, in bigger and better videos as well. Nice. But the other, the other aspect is that I'm actually launching another YouTube channel. Um, so Two YouTube channels. Well, yes, because it, it has struck me for a long time that um, as project managers, we, we are not just managers of our projects. We are also managers of the people on our projects. And, and for young project managers, getting good knowledge about basic people management skills is difficult. It's difficult. Not everyone can, yeah. is fortunate to get uh, courses from their uh, or, uh, their employer. And uh, there's a lot of stuff on the web, but it's expensive when you look at all of the different management disciplines. And there's a lot of stuff on YouTube, but it's all very disjointed. So management courses, my new YouTube channel, will be targeted at giving structured management training uh, for uh anyone but it will be particularly suitable for young professionals like new project managers who yeah. don't have the management experience so a busy year coming up nice yeah sounds like you have got your hands full and uh but i want to go back to obviously you're a trainer now but you didn't just decide to be a trainer uh, no. you, you spent <laughs> you spent some time doing some work and in the trenches first so can you um tell me about your first day as a project manager uh, maybe how you got into it and um what was what was it like? I, I'm probably not alone. 
in that it's very hard to put my finger on what my first day as a project manager was because my first day in the career that led me to project management, my boss would have said, oh, Mike's not doing project management. And and I gradually ramped up what I was doing. And at some point, anyone would have said, that's project management. But I suppose... My first, I think of the first day as a project manager was when I was working on a project. I was a project team member. Yeah. And we were doing a very specialized project. And the project leader was not a project manager uh, by training. He was a project, project, sorry, a technical specialist in, in the topic that we were hoping to help our client to manage the project. And he clearly wasn't listening to the client. And the client got very frustrated and when we went back to the office, he wanted to carry on as he had been carrying on before. Right. And I, I had to speak to one of my uh, senior colleagues that I trusted and say, I think we're about to blow it. Um, and after a conversation with the client, uh, it emerged that the client recognized there was only one person uh, from our side of the uh, around our side of the table uh, in that meeting who uh, was actually getting what he was saying which was that I need someone to help me manage a project I don't need technical experts I've yeah. got armies of those in my own organization thank you very much and he very specifically said I want Mike to be managing this project he is the only one who understands what we really need and so the the next day I went in not the most senior member of the team from the point of view of, of our organizational hierarchy. I was a consultant at the time with Deloitte, but uh, now I was formally the project manager right. and I had all of all of that responsibility was suddenly dumped on my shoulders with a team of people who, uh, some of whom felt that uh, as more senior people in, in, in our organization, uh, they shouldn't be working for me. They shouldn't be taking instruction from me, but the client right. was client was clear and the client gets what the client wants when you're in professional services yeah <laughs> yeah definitely and so i mean what what would you tell your younger self now uh looking back on that day that you went in and you became not just you know a, a member of the team but you became maybe you weren't even then called the, the project manager but you were someone who was managing the project what would you tell what advice would you give yourself so for someone starting out um, who has suddenly become a PM and that's the case for many PMs I think it's they they are someone who's somehow managing the project and then they get given the title later what would you yeah. tell yourself I think for me the the thing I most needed to learn was that once you take on that project manager role uh, you need to put aside your desire to hide in the technical details that you're good at whether, mm. whether you've come up through uh, software engineering um, architecture main uh, product maintenance uh, as a construction engineer whatever technical background you have once you take over leadership of a project that becomes secondary to your responsibility to the project which means that you can't do what i ended up doing for for a while which is staff coming up and asking me questions even sometimes clients coming up and asking me questions and gritting my teeth and just wanting to get back to what i was doing because that's no longer your job your job is no longer to do stuff yeah uh, yes there is stuff to do but your job is to manage a project and lead the people on the project and everything else is secondary to that and your success is key to how well you lead other people. And if you haven't got time to get your your own stuff done, then you need to find solutions that don't involve you doing it, but involve delegating it and managing it uh, as a project manager rather than being that specialist, which is, I suppose, for many of us when we first move into project management, our comfort zone. 
Yeah, definitely. It's easy to revert back to those, yeah, those hard, yeah, the hard skills that that have brought us into the industry or mm. the the role in the first place. So yeah, I can I can definitely empathize with that. And so I'm wondering now, in terms of, I mean, you're PMing yourself in in as much as you've got a training consultancy, um, but as a PM, what historically was in your toolkit, and what do you still use from that yourself now to manage yourself and your projects, which are your now your two new YouTube channels um, and whatever else you've got going on? How do you how do you manage the madness? Yeah, I, I, I really love that the you, you use the word toolkit because when I talk about project management and, and, and as a trainer, I think in terms of giving people a toolkit because as a whatever you're doing in life, nobody can train you by telling you what you are going to need mm. because every situation is different and every person's approach to the situation is going to be different. So all you can do as a trainer is give people the biggest bunch of tools you can so they've got the most flexibility so i suppose the question isn't really what's in my toolkit because i hope um, by any measure it's a huge toolkit um it's what i suppose it's what do i use most and i th still think that for a young project manager the the tool that you're going to use you're going to need most but you're going to be most reluctant to use at the start of your career is or the set of tools around engaging with stakeholders um really really find out what in my context your customers your clients want right. in perhaps an internal context what your users want and stay in touch with them keep them keep them informed and we're, we're gonna i know talk you're gonna ask me about uh, trust in project management and that's mm. a key part of it as well and in and the other thing i suppose you asked about how do i control the madness my personal time, I'm pretty tight on personal time management and my personal time management approach lifts from the basics of standard traditional project management. And, and I use what I call the OATS process for managing my time. I think about the outcomes I need to generate in the next day or the next week. What are the activities I need to do to achieve those outcomes? I think about how long it's going to take them and then each one of those is going to take and then I then I schedule them in and I call that the oats process and it serves me very well uh, in just in terms of planning my and these days I tend to plan uh, a week at a time and so the start I start the week on a Monday morning knowing exactly what I need to achieve by the end of the week to get me where I want to go and broadly and half day chunks what I'm going to be doing each day right to get that done what the priorities are. And so I'm, I'm curious just in terms, I think, uh, this is something that PMs continually struggle with. I struggle with it's, um, you know, we have our outcomes. We know what activities we need to achieve to, to, to deliver on those outcomes. Um, is estimating the amount of time it takes. And I think often when we, <laughs> when we have lots of outcomes that we need to, um, achieve, particularly, you know, when you're more junior and maybe you're managing multiple projects. Um, how do you deal with the scenario where where things take more time than you were expecting them to? So you made this nice plan for your week. You scheduled everything out in half-day chunks. But on Tuesday morning, the thing that you scheduled in for half a day ends up taking the whole day and it still isn't done. What's your, uh, what's your triage process? <laughs> well, I do... In my weekly planning for, for my, my week, I apply the same process I used to apply with client projects. And I ha I've, I've had, always had this proud boast that I've never delivered a client project late uh, ever. And 
and I've had some pretty, you know, hairy, large scale projects to deliver. Um, but I, that that's probably, I suppose, a function of I didn't have a choice because my specialism as a project manager was always uh, time critical, deadline driven projects. I, I I made my career name, I suppose, delivering a, a year 2000 project for anyone who's any listener who's old enough to <laughs> even remember the two th- year 2000. Um, and uh, so, you know, being being 10 minutes late would have been disastrous for our client. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and the way I do it, and, and it's based broadly on the, the principle of critical chain, the idea that you create a series of tasks that need to get done in the context of perhaps a week's uh, planning for my my current work i'll think about everything i need to get done uh, but then i will put a chunk of time at the end of that which i i refer to as islands of stability where in truth nothing critical is scheduled there's there's plenty that could be done in that right. time like adding up but nothing is scheduled and that way if something does over overrun then there's no contamin. It's a bit like a fire break. There's no contamination to the next sequence. So basically, Friday afternoons, I don't schedule anything other than admin. Right. It means that if everything goes well, I can leave Friday with a very very tidy desk and all my admin done, uh, feeling really good, not having to worry about it next week. Uh, or if I feel very virtuous but uh, a little bit exhausted, I can kind of take Friday afternoon off. But if something goes wrong and Tuesday morning turns into the whole of Tuesday, as you suggest, then I can either finish the Tuesday stuff on Friday afternoon or I can bump everything around so that I use Friday. So it's it's having that kind of fire break so yeah. that I get to the end of the week and I've unless something really disastrous happens, then I'm never going to find I get to the end of the week and haven't done what I choose. So it's about giving myself a big chunk of contingency. And and of course you're right to pick on estimating that's hard you know the hardest discipline of technical project management is estimating and 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 i think it's something that's under taught and i do worry that agile project managers hearing the whole hashtag no estimates thing are going to think it think well it's not a skill i need to acquire because we don't need to do it i think that's frankly patent nonsense we do need to estimate yeah. um it's it's the degree of precision that's appropriate for the situation that we need to be thinking about and and how, what, what things need estimating um and of course the other thing we do the tip i always give people is it's if you're managing your own time everyone everyone thinks that they are better more effective more efficient than right. their colleagues so if you are fortunate enough to work with colleagues, instead of asking yourself, how long will it take me to write this project report? Look at your colleague who is doing a broadly similar job and say, how long will it take him or how long will it take her to write this project report? Right. Because we tend to have a much more realistic estimate of what our <laughs> colleagues are able to do than we do of ourselves. We think we're some kind of superhuman uh, and, oh, I could get that. I'll just get that done in two hours. And if anyone asks, you say, uh, you what your colleague would say oh they'll take them three or four but i'm different i could get it done in two or three no actually estimate for yourself the amount of time it would take your colleagues you can feel smug if you do get it done early <laughs> but realistically the chances that any one individual listening to this uh podcast is significantly faster at anything much than their <laughs> skilled colleagues is is pretty remote so yeah. Uh, that's my top tip on estimating. Yeah, no, that is a, I like that. That's, <laughs> that's great. And I think, I think what you say though about, um, 
yeah, I, I like how how you're suggesting building in this this fire break or this buffer at the end of your week. Mm. Um, and it, I think it's interesting that you, I mean, yeah, and by earmarking that as admin, it means it doesn't um, impact too much on anything. Because I think one of the things that as project managers, you know, when when we become too overwhelmed, often I think the thing that goes out the window, uh, in my experience anyway, is the managing and controlling aspect of the project. Um, and we're going to talk about trust in a minute, but what happens when things begin to become mismanaged or things start getting out of control is as the project manager, we might not know that the project is not in a good place, or we might not just have that awareness and, and knowledge of what's going on in the project. And we're saying things to our client like, yeah, things are, things are going all right, because uh, we don't have that situational awareness that we should do. So mm. I think it's so... Um, being effectively managing our time to make time for managing and controlling our projects and building that into our schedules so that we can build trust and so that we can have the, you know, the things that we say have some integrity, I think is really important. Um, mm. So let's get back to your post and this, this topic of managing trust. And yeah. in in your post, I mean, you talked about trust. Uh, you provided an equation for us, which I always like, which trust is equal to the sum of your credibility plus your reliability, plus your intimacy with the other person, all divided by your self-orientation. Do you want to just give us an overview of, uh, of that equation and, and why you think that's valid, why you think that is trust? Well, for a start, I need to say I, I may have provided it to your readers, but I didn't, uh, didn't yes. create it. <laughs> the, the credit must go primarily to David Maester and also his co-authors, Charles Green and, and Robert Galford, who wrote um, a wonderful book called The Trusted Advisor. They Maester in particular specializes in writing books for professional services people. So if you are a project manager who sees your role in life as being a project manager and providing that service, even if even if you provide that service internally to a, a an, in, an industry sector that isn't professional services, a lot of his stuff is going to be worth reading. And I think The Trusted Advisor is the best known of his books. Uh, and it, it's certainly the one that really stuck with me. And I've got three of them on my shelf. Um, please don't ask me to name the three of them. <laughs> but uh, the trust advisor, really the focus is on if you are going to advise anyone. And as project managers, we advise our clients. We advise our uh, sponsors. We advise our bosses. We advise the corporate governance of our organizations. If you're going to advise anybody, you've got to have their trust. And they looked at what are the components of trust. And so let's start with the components and then I'll give you why I believe actually yeah. they've got the equation broadly right. Although I think they would, would never say you should use it literally as an equation. And I would say <laughs> that. But so the first thing is you, you can only have trust if you have credibility. If people actually believe that you know what you're talking about. And for us as project managers, I think there are two elements to that. Firstly, we have to know our uh, project management. Uh, we have to have the skills and the experience. And people say to me, is it worth getting qualifications? And and I because I haven't got any. And you know, one of my great regrets as a young project manager is I had the chance for Deloitte to sponsor me through uh, the PMP mm. um, when it was we were still on Pimbock One, right? <laughs> uh, and it was 170 pages, <laughs> uh, a tiny document compared to now. Um, yeah. But I think you know that. That, those qualifications, whether it's a, an agile qualification or a, or a predictive qualification, whatever segment you're in, if you've got qualifications, they say you do have some credibility. But we also need to have credibility in understanding 
the nature of the project we're delivering it, delivering. And and I've never, uh, as a professional project manager for Deloitte, delivered a project where I've been a skilled technical expert going in so a part of it is about how do you build that knowledge and how do you build the links with your team so that you can draw on that so credibility is vital secondly reliability and people Mm. uh a lot of project managers will say well that's what we're good at you know we do what we say we're going to do we schedule stuff we get it done we are just do it jfdi people um which is absolutely right so reliability should be uh, a slam dunk for us as project managers. The problem comes is we forget that reliability isn't about how reliable you are. It's how reliable the other person sees you as being. Right. So when you're beavering away, getting stuff done with your head down in your computer or in your team's heads down in their computers or whatever it is that you're doing, and you're not talking to your stakeholders, they're thinking, what's going on? Right. You know you're doing everything you should be and everything is on schedule and your stakeholders haven't heard from the project manager. Oh, I think something's going wrong. So a big part of reliability is demonstrating that you are doing. And and that's so communication is, is vital to um, demonstrating your reliability yeah. and it keeping your keep it because I'm sure like me, you've worked in a lot of situations where there's been a lot of change and people get scared when changes happen. And the worst thing can happen is that people don't know what's going on. And so they, they, they gossip and they rumor monger and, and they expect the worst. So reliability is about giving people good quality information that they can, they can trust. And I think one, one aspect of that reliability as well is that um, whilst we might be reliable and, uh, and I think what you're right is, is that it's all about perception, right? So, Yes, the client might, they might think we are reliable. Um, but you know, our reliability is all also contingent on our team's reliability or our organization's reliability. So whilst we personally might be reliable, you know, as the face, as you know, if we're in professional services or an agency, we're the face of the organization or the agency. So our reliability is contingent on the team and the organization, which is very hard for us to control. And, mm. um, you know, <laughs> we try and set ourselves with people who we think uh, are going to be able to deliver the project. We, we try and set up our team so that we can reliably deliver. But often the case is, you know, it might be a resourcing challenge. It might be, you know, someone, another project that's more important comes in and suddenly our reliability is totally shot um, because yeah. we said we'd be able to deliver and now we can't because someone else has, uh, you know, is more important. Absolutely. And and that gets to the crux of what our job is really as a project manager, which is to to solve those problems and to not say, well, it's all gone horribly wrong and it's not my fault. You're the project manager. It isn't. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility yeah. to find a fix. And your skills in communication in what is going to enable you to escalate a problem and get the collaboration of the people who, who you are reliant on. I'm not saying you can always do it. There are situations, particularly with third-party contractors who not only have a mind of their own, but aren't always motivated by the same incentives that you are. Right, yeah. But, but it is it is your job. And and I think the reliability thing is, is also about how you communicate. If things are going wrong, what is your approach to communicating that with the stakeholders? Each stakeholder will gauge your reliability partly on the way you address the issues with them. Hmm. Can they trust the communication you're giving? Do they believe you? 
do they understand the situation in a in a clear way so reliability is is key and and it's going to keep pumping up there's two more to go <laughs> so the next one is intimacy and don't you know don't get this the wrong way if you're listening <laughs> to this this is not about forming an intimate relationship with your clients with your sponsors with your colleagues but it is about the extent to which they feel that they can share information with you and i suppose the first tier is where they can share openly and honestly the organizational business right. information that you need the second tier that shows that you they really are starting to feel that they can trust you through that the intimacy is really building and that they're building a trust is they will share some aspects of their professional aspirations and what really matters to them about the project and and things and then as it builds you will start to form a relationship where they can share more intimate things like actually what's important to them in life and, and things like that yeah. so the extent that you can build really high quality relationships with your team members your colleagues your sponsors your clients your stakeholders will build trust yeah the the fourth is the fourth one is self-orientation and and that's slightly different because they phrase it as self-orientation so uh, and they what they mean by that is the extent to which you're motivated by your own needs and desires now let's not be uh, naive about this if, you know we don't come to work as project managers because we are purely altruistic and we want to do things for our clients and we don't care about ourselves we do it but you know it's partly because it's a career that's fulfilling and brings us the income we need to live the life we want to live so but if you act out of selfish motivations and and or seem to act out of selfish motivations if people believe that you are compromising your integrity for your own reasons that will diminish trust and they could maester and green and galford have just had uh, an equation that said credibility plus reliability plus intimacy minus self-orientation but they chose right. to divide by self-orientation and the impact that has is that as self-orientation starts to go up the whole thing goes down very the whole kind of trust equation diminishes very rapidly mm. and again this is about perception you may be entirely motivated by your client's interests but if they suspect that you're acting out of self or interest self-orientation then their trust in you will go down so you have to show that your integrity is uh complete you have to Again, communicate uh, the decisions you're making, the choices you're making, and show that you are, in the decisions you're making, you're motivated by what matters to your clients, to your organization, to your stakeholders, yeah. and you're not choosing the easy route for yourself. So what this basically says is trust is all about the extent to which you have integrity, the the extent to which you build relationships, the extent to which you do what you say you'll do when you say you'll do it, and that you know what you're doing. And put that way, why do I think this is, is equation works? It's because to me, it's a no-brainer that all of those things are pivotal in the way I form trust of other people, yeah. uh, and therefore I suspect the way other people form trust of me. Yeah, I think I think it's a really helpful way of thinking about um, the, the yeah the different components that make up trust and um mm. yeah i think the intimacy one is particularly for me uh, an interesting one 
I think you could also, to some extent, call that transparency or just mm-hmm. openness. It's this sense of which, okay, I understand what you, you know, your uh, your career goals, what, and that, you know, that goes through to uh, understanding as well what the business needs to achieve in order for that person to succeed. Um, so I think I think these are really a useful way of framing and understanding what it takes to build trust. And so mm. thinking about, okay, well, how can we be more credible? How can we be more reliable? How can we create that transparency and intimacy with our client? And how can we make sure that we've got our client's best interests at heart um, so that uh, as well we're delivering value to the client and their team? And also thinking as well in terms of the end user or the customer, making sure that um, we're also delivering value there. But so that's how we can build trust. But in terms of, have you got any stories about, you know, situations where you have experienced less trust with your clients or stakeholders and the impact of that? Why would you say that trust is so important? We're kind of making this assumption that, hey, it's easier. But have you got anything more concrete in terms of why you think it's important? Well, I mean, why I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, I did have a, a case where trust didn't. Well, I'm not saying trust didn't work. It's simply that um, what happened basically is I, I joined a, a project. Um, it was on a very, very tight time scale. Uh, the previous uh, project manager, and we had the title at that time, not a project manager, but it was launch director. We were launching well, a new dot com. That uh, sounds in exciting. Um, <laughs> I want to be a launch a director. <laughs> I wanted a big button on my desk. <laughs> I had a, I, I had an office uh, in the client site, and and it said launch director on the door. But back in two thousand, who had a fo- who had a uh, well I had a phone, but who had a camera in their pocket to take a photo of uh, launch director? <laughs> anyway. Um, Suffice to say that the previous project manager was not seen as successful and I was brought in um, hot on the heels of having successfully delivered this year 2000 project. Um, but very quickly, shortly, uh, shortly after I, I joined the project, uh, there were some big problems and I was hauled up not just in front of the client, but in front of some senior people in my firm, uh, one of whom was very keen to ensure that his technical team didn't get the brunt of the blame, right. which in retrospect, I think they probably deserved. Um, and therefore, I was I was to be scapegoated by uh, this colleague. And um, and I think I what really went wrong for me was not that I didn't have credibility and I didn't wasn't able to build intimacy, but I hadn't had the time with the client and with my senior colleagues who were I hadn't didn't know going into this project. I didn't have the time to build that credibility and I didn't have that time to build that intimacy. Therefore, they couldn't trust my reliability because they didn't have the belief that I said right. when I said we were we were working towards fixing some of the legacy problems that we would. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how they perceived self-orientation, but certainly you need time to build credibility just going onto a project having been successful on another project isn't enough necessarily for every client and quite rightly so why should my ability to deliver one type of project mean that mm. i can deliver your diff- very different type of project and i certainly didn't have intimacy i i met these people for you know i known them for a couple of weeks of hard working environment but pretty much working on our own stuff and coming together at meetings so there was no real intimacy um I hadn't had time to build credibility. And so consequently, uh, it, it did result in me picking up the brunt of the blame and uh, taking quite a long time to to rebuild 
the trust and to get the project back on yeah. on track. Now, interestingly, uh, it was towards the end of uh, you know with, with a month to go before launch uh, that the client's finance director took me out for lunch and. And you know when the client wants to take you out for lunch, uh, <laughs> they've got something they want to tell you. And so I knew that I had, I had built, rebuilt that trust with that finance director. And uh, we did have a conversation about some uh, very tricky internal uh, problem that he'd perceived, which we were able to work on together. So it wasn't that I wasn't able to build that intimacy it takes time, yeah, uh, and quite rightly so, for people to come to trust you. So, my tip, I suppose, for young project managers there is work on it. You know, get to work on it on day one. If it, you know, if you haven't got that trust on day two, it doesn't mean you're not a good project manager and you're not a trustworthy person. It means that in this situation with that stakeholder, it will take them longer than a day, and it might take them longer than a month or so. But it's a never-ending task of building trust because you can always polish it and you can always you always need to be alert for something that happens which may not be in your control which undermines your their perception of your credibility reliability intimacy or self-orientation and you've got to address that quickly uh to uh, to get back onto it definitely yeah i think in in my scenario i've i've had times when you know when there's not trust there in a relationship and I think it's worth talking about this and thinking about okay what does it look like when there isn't trust and for example Mm. for me um we used to work a lot on time and materials engagements where Mm -hmm. uh you know the client just pays for your time now the challenge of that is that there has to be trust there there has to be trust that you're doing good work um because what happens if there's not trust is that the client when you invoice them at the end of the month they turn around and say uh this seems like a lot of hours and you say well yes it's Mm -hmm. been in the status reports every week and they say well can you explain what this is can you explain what this is and then you spend the next two weeks debating with them whether or not the previous invoice was right or not and then they ask you to dig into the hours and explain what what happened and uh and then it's it's all just a complete waste of everyone's time it's you know you're having meetings to discuss and try and analyze what what the hours were for or how you spent the time and yeah i've been in plenty of situations where where that has happened and that's all just because fundamentally the trust isn't there and uh yeah. and it seriously undermines um well it's, it's seriously inefficient but it also um is very frustrating for the team it's frustrating for the client as well um so in that situation, I mean, in in your post, you talk about different ways that we can build trust and you talk about engaging with the client, listening to what they have to say, showing you understand, envisioning what you can accomplish together if you work together and painting this bright vision of the future and then committing mm. to do your part. Um, but in terms of that initial scenario, so let's talk about my scenario where, hey, you know, the client's obviously got their their fingers burned before because they feel like they're overpaying. When you're mm. kind of beginning this engagement with the client, I mean, this is day one. They've been burned before. They don't like the previous project manager who maybe overcharged them or whatever. Um, what do you actually talk, talk me through that conversation? How do you uh, how do you kind of get them back on side? Yeah, I think uh, I think the first thing to do is to recognize that potentially if you if you don't get this right, the relationship is just going to get worse and worse and worse. So I will always start with um, 
recognizing that there is a breakdown in trust and say, look, it's, it sounds to me like, you know, you don't completely trust these figures. And I understand that. And I recognize that we need to build back trust. Right. So actually name the problem, name mm. the issue. Now, what might actually happen is they might say, no, 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 we do trust you, but I'm, I've got someone on my back. Yeah. Which, which actually reframes the whole exercise for you because it actually means you've got an ally, not an enemy. Uh, so declare that kind of breach of trust. And the next thing I will always do is to then say what my ideal outcome is. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you clearly, you know, it seems like you don't trust us. So what I really want to do, what my outcome for, for, for this next period is to do everything I can to demonstrate that we deserve your trust or I deserve your trust uh, to show you that where your where your perception isn't correct or yeah. you know where, where I will demonstrate that where we have made mistakes I will own up to them and we'll work together to find a solution that satisfies you uh, because if it is a genuine mistake then I want to put it right so state your outcome and and I also invite them you know, you, you've, you've said this, I've, I've, I've made my, my position clear. What, what do you want from this? What's your outcome? And it may be a very transactional outcome. I just need, you know, a statement of, in your case, um, uh, evidence of, of hours worked that yeah. matches the statement so I can reconcile it. It may be something like, I, I too would like to get back to trusting you. And that's great because if your outcomes overlap in some way, then you've already started to breach, bridge that trust sure. gap. Yeah. The next thing to do is, frankly, in your case, it's very easy. It's get the facts and share the facts. Make sure, first of all, that you understand the facts they're working from so that if they've got any errors in the facts that have been presented, you can put them right. Mm. Uh, make sure you've got your facts and compare them and get to the point where you have a set of documented facts that you can both agree are correct. Right. That's not... That's not the end of the process, of course, because trust is a perception thing, not a fact thing, uh, but it's the basis. And then where there are gaps in, let's let's say for the sake of argument, oh, we you have uh, overcharged by a week, one member of staff put in the wrong numbers inadvertently or otherwise. Now you've got to make a commitment of how you're going to fix it. Um, and having made that commitment, for example, we're going to write that off and for goodwill, we're going to uh, write off a, another chunk. If I do that, you you might say, "What? how would you act? How would you feel about that? Effectively, you're making a commitment. You're inviting them to make a commitment right. too. Um, and if that doesn't satisfy them, then you can say, well, you can discuss with them what's missing and open up that dialogue. What's missing? What, what do we need to do? <laughs> what, what would satisfy us? And look for options. And if you can, try and find a couple of options and weigh them against each other and, and agree an option and together put together a plan. And then the last step is to reiterate your commitment to that plan and to act on it because now you've got the chance. Well, now you've got a plan. You can show your reliability. And, uh, you know, and I always say the, the measure of an organisation isn't, the extent to which it does or does not make mistakes. It's how it responds to those mistakes. Mm. You know, and I'm sure we've all, everyone who's listening has had shopping experiences that they will share around a dinner table of organizations making mistake and then absolutely make a complete horlicks of it by 
not properly owning up to the mistake and it just digging themselves into a PR nightmare, uh, which results in stories around the dinner table and <laughs> your friends not shopping with them. On the other hand, we've probably all got some cases where we've contacted an organization that has done us wrong and they said oh really oh and and they put it right and they've more than put it right and you feel great about that organization as a project manager you've got to be that organization you've got to be that individual that actually recognizes mistakes have been made and maybe you didn't make a mistake maybe it was a perceived mistake but you still put it super right because being right is not as important as putting it right yeah because your reputation isn't about your the extent to which you're always right. It's the way people perceive you. And so if you make me feel bad because you're proving you're right, I'm not going to trust you because yeah. I'm just going to feel I don't like you. <laughs> um, on the other hand, if you own up to mistakes or if you accept that I'm not happy and you make me feel good about it and give me a little victory, then I'll start to trust you again. Mm. Yeah, I think that's... That's solid advice. And I think sometimes what we can fall into is a, uh, a short term game where we're, we're, you know, we're just trying to win that quick battle or that quick argument. And actually what we're doing yeah. is eroding trust. And I think what you're talking about here is having this big picture view of what's going on with this relationship with the client or the stakeholders. And, you know, if we want to, you know, keep working with the client, if we want to, uh, want this thing to live on beyond just the immediate engagement and transaction that you're working on. Um, yeah. then it, then it's worth, it's worth building trust. And I think sometimes, particularly in digital, perhaps the kind of work that we do, um, we do lots of one-off engagements. And I think because we do these one-off engagements, we can sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot, um, by not building trust and maybe not valuing trust as much as we could. So I think what you're talking about um, is is really valuable and thinking, okay, how can we build our credibility, our reliability, our intimacy with the other person? How can we make sure that we're orientating ourselves and our agency in such a way that the perception is that they can, you know, that we are reliable, that they can uh, trust us. So uh, that's been really helpful advice. Thanks so much, Mike, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And I wonder what you think. So what are your hacks, tips, and tricks for building trust? Have you got any stories of trust uh, building that's gone well or trust that's been eroded and uh, the whole thing is falling apart? Please let us know in the comments below. And uh, please leave a review for us as well on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we love to know what you think of the show. And if you want to learn more and get ahead with your work, come and join our tribe with DPM membership. Head to the digitalprojectmanager.com forward slash membership and you'll get access to our slack team our templates workshops office hours ebooks and more but until next time thanks for listening